to welcome you here to the Houghton Wesleyan Church on this missions weekend. Please stand and join us as we worship our God together. Fire. 
Christ, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, a love song born of grateful
Heavenly Father, you truly are great. We come today to worship you, to open our hearts to you, and to let you move deeply in every part of our being. Let our worship honor you and please you. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. I just want to mention a couple of things that uh, are in your bulletin. Uh, this is a, our missions weekend, and tonight uh, we'll be gathering in the community room at 6 o'clock uh, for the, the final event, and we hope you'll be able to join us for that. Next Sunday morning, we gather for worship again at 829, 40, and 11. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. There are always things for us to pray about. Uh, I just want to pray for families that are connected to us who have gone through a recent death. And also uh, praying about the situation in Syria that uh, just seems to be escalating the violence, um, so many lives lost, and we're praying for God to bring peace in that very volatile situation. As I mentioned, this is the uh, missions weekend, and we're focusing this week, this weekend on uh, ministry uh, that's a little bit closer to us, and uh, the uh, history of Wesleyan Native Ministries goes back to the mid-1930s. The work began among the Lakota people on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. It's continued to grow and develop and change uh, as the years have gone along. Out of this work, churches were started, as well as uh, the Brainerd Indian School uh, was a big part of that, of that for a long time as well. Uh, the goal of Wesleyan Native Ministries has continued to be a catalyst for personal and community transformation among Native people living in some of the most under-resourced communities in all of North America. We're happy today to have Rich Avery with us. He's going to be sharing. He's been the director of Native, Wesleyan Native Ministries since 2008. And uh, his, his goal, his desire, his, his calling is to raise awareness, to raise uh, funding for uh, the ongoing work of empowering uh, Native leaders to reach their people for Christ, to transform communities uh, through leadership development, church multiplication, compassionate outreach, and community development. It's interesting, it's especially meaningful to me uh, to be focused on this. Uh, the first uh, sort of missions experience that I had was in the 70s when I was in high school, and I was part of a team from our church that went to South Dakota, spent a couple of weeks working there. We worked actually on the Brainerd Indian School and worked, ministered in churches, and it made a deep impression upon me. Uh, I was particularly impressed by the, the great need of people and the poverty, and as well as the spiritual need. And uh, that has stayed with me for all these years. And, and God continues to, uh, to call his people to work uh, among uh, the, the people of our nation who have great need. And so we'll hear more about that a little bit later this morning. We are, we're privileged to have a, a team from our church that's going to be leaving on the 23rd to spend about 10 days in South Dakota working there uh, in the ministry. Uh, we had a team that went last year. This year there are 15 people going, 12 college students and uh, three folks from the community will be going out. 
And we wanted to take a few moments this morning to pray for them before they leave. And so I know they're not all in the service. They're spread out in each of the services, but I know there are some who are here. So those of you who are part of the team going to South Dakota, I'm going to ask you to come and stand here in front. And as they do that, I'd like to ask others to come, stand around them, and we'll pray for them. If you'd like to join them in prayer around them, I invite you to come and just stand around behind them, maybe lay hands on them as we uh, pray for them this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege we have of being your hands and your feet, your eyes, your mouth, your presence among people you love and have great need. Thank you for this group of people standing before us and others who are joining them and for their willingness to just take their time, their energy, their resources to be a part of this group that will be ministering in South Dakota. We pray, Father, that you'll pour out your blessing on them, and as they prepare to go, give them spiritual energy and strength for all that lies before them. We pray, Father, that that you will bless them and that every encounter they have while they are there will be uh, directed by you and inspired by you and filled by your Spirit. As they minister in churches, we pray that you do great things. As they speak one-on-one with people in small group settings and they have the opportunity to get to know people, we pray that you will use those times to help people to know that they are loved and cared for by us and most of all by you. We ask, Father, that you will use this trip to work great things in the hearts of every member of the team. Help them to come back different than they have gone. Help them to go with an openness to you and a willingness to let you work in their hearts through this encounter. And we pray for the people that they go to minister to, that the interactions they have and the contacts they make and the conversations and the ministry they have to people, that it would be life-changing. That you do something through them that would help people to see your love in a new way. So pour out your grace upon them and your blessing in each of their lives. And we send them forth in the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. James, chapter 1, 19 to 27. 
Hear the word of the Lord this morning. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like one who looks at their face in the mirror and after looking at themselves goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. If anyone, who consi- if anyone considers themselves religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on their tongue, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord this morning. At this time, I'd like to invite our ushers to come forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings. The next song that we're going to sing and we'll be teaching you is called Jalali Yesu, which is Urdu for Almighty Jesus. Um, Urdu is the um, official language of Pakistan and is spoken by Muslims in Pakistan and in India and other places of the world. Um, But don't be scared. The rest of it is in English. So all you need to say is Jalali Yesu. Let's try that. Jalali Yesu. Wonderful. And we're going to sing through the first verse and chorus, and then we'll invite you to stand and join us. Yeah. 
As we think about the world today and we engage ourselves in prayer, we know that God loves the whole world. He loves you, He loves me, He loves every person in all the world. Sometimes it's easy to forget that. And this morning as we think about prayer, we want to pray for the needs that are connected to us and that's important to do. But we also want to pray about about the world. And maybe there is a, a nation or perhaps a people group that come to your mind, comes to your mind this morning. Maybe you've already had a burden about them, something going on there, something connection you have or you've just heard about them. Or just something comes to your mind. And as we pray together today, we're going to take some time for silence to pray for that nation or that people group that comes to your mind and to ask for God's grace upon them and that his love would be revealed in great ways to them. If you'd like to use the altar as a place where you pray, where you you pray for this nation and the needs that are on your heart, then I invite you to join me as we pray together. Father, there are many things in our lives and in this world that we are uncertain of. But there's one thing about which we are absolutely certain. That you love the whole world. And your purpose is to redeem the whole world through Jesus Christ. This morning we come to pray for the nations of the world. For people groups of the world. Some of them are large, some are small. Some have great influence, some are hardly noticed. Some are prosperous, others are ravaged by disease and famine and drought. Some of them exist in relative peace. Others know nothing but war, rumors of war and the constant threat of war. Father, this morning, as we have thought, as we are having our minds, a nation, a people group, in this moment of silence, we pour out our hearts for them and for your grace and your presence and your power to be evident and at work in them. Father, we also bring before you the needs that are right around us. We pray that you will heal all who are struggling with sickness, 
pain, disease. We pray that you will comfort every person whose life has been turned upside down by grief. We ask that you'd give hope to all who feel hopeless and peace, to every person struggling with fear and uncertainty. And for our own lives, we ask that you would forgive our sins. Give us a a deeper, stronger desire for you. Open our hearts to each other. And help us to feel you near. Father, we want to be people of great faith and great courage. People who live the sense of great joy and to exude great love. We know that all of this is found in you. So draw us closer to you every moment of every day. And we ask all of this through the grace and the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who teaches us the model for prayer that we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Stand with us. Take all I am, Lord, and all that I cling to. You are my Savior. I owe everything to. Take all the treasures that lie in my storehouse, that they cannot follow when I enter your house. So I. Sin I keep hidden, search me and know me, 
Be seated. Pointed, uh, looking at me this morning, first because I just was loud all of a sudden, <laughs> but also looking at me and thinking, boy, I thought they said the native ministries person was coming and he doesn't really look native. And no, I'm not. So I apologize if uh, that disappointed you this morning. I'm not native myself, although my wife and I are working on our own tribe. We have five kids so far, ages five to 15, and uh, they are a real blessing. Sorry I could not bring them with uh, me on this trip. But uh, we are really blessed to have them and consider them uh, truly a blessing from the Lord. Um, also, some of you thought, well, if he's not Indian, well, at least he could be a cowboy from out west. And I'm not really from out west either, unless you call western Michigan uh, out west. But uh, we did send that snow you're enjoying today your way uh, yesterday. So uh, well, you can thank me for that later. Um, we have, we've had a really mild winter, and it sounds like you have as well uh, here. And it's been kind of uh, interesting but uh, we are certainly getting back to winter today. So thank you, uh, Pastor Wes, and thank you, uh, Houghton Church, for the privilege of being here and sharing with you today and uh, to talk about your theme, which is representing God in a needy world. Wesleyan Native Ministries has been doing that for over 60 years, and um, you've been partnering with us for many of those years. Native American or First Nations people are among the poorest of the poor in the U.S. and Canada, financially, emotionally and spiritually. Unemployment rates are some of the highest in native communities, up to 90% in some places where we work. Poverty rates are sky high, depression and suicide. And sadly, very few natives follow Christ. Hope you'll come back later tonight because we'll be talking more about our ministry and about how your partnership is helping us to transform native communities 
as together we work to equip and empower more and more Native men and women to be pastors and leaders to reach their people for Christ in the context of their own culture. So again, I hope you'll come back and join us for more tonight. Also, I hope you'll stop by our booth after the service and pick up uh, an ink pen. It's our gift to you. I, I don't know about you, but I can always use an extra pen. And uh, also at our booth, you'll find our prayer calendar. We've taken the liberty of putting together some prayer requests for each month. And I know many of you faithfully pray for the missionaries and the groups that you support. And so we invite you to stop by and pick it up. We've already missed January, but there's still lots of February left in the rest of the year. So uh, please stop by and pick that up after the service. Well, let's, um, let me take a minute and read this passage of scripture, and then I want to pray. Our topic, our scripture for today is James 1.27, and our topic is representing God in a needy world. James 1.27 says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and the privilege of being here in your house today to freely worship you, Lord, and to receive the love you have freely given to us. Lord, uh, you don't intend for that love to stay with us, but that it flow over uh, from our lives into the lives of others uh, to, to be your representative, Lord, to bring hope in a, in a hurting world, a needy world. So guide us today, Lord, as we read your word and uh, speak to us and help us to have ears that can listen, Lord, and, and feet and hands that are willing to do uh, what you call us to do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, James one twenty seven is a passage of scripture that I find very fascinating, both for what it says and for what it doesn't say about a religion or a faith that is pure and that honors God. First, let me give you a little bit of background about the book of James and the people to whom James is writing to. He was writing to Jewish people who became Christians. And uh, by this time, they've been scattered all across the world. So as Jews, they have followed God since birth. They have followed all the customs and all the feasts and followed the law. And they've, they've known all of the things that they're supposed to do as Jewish people. They were probably active in their worship, giving of their tithes and offerings, and were concerned about keeping the law, about personal piety and holiness. And then uh, transitioning from, from Jews to followers of Christ, they, they carried that dedication and devotion over to them, but channeled it now in, in a new way by following Christ and, and his example that uh, many of them were witnesses to or had heard of. But something must have happened in their religious practice because throughout the letter, James reminds them over and over what pure or uh, what true religion might look like or what true faith really is. And he says that he, he doesn't say it's about going to church or about listening to the word, although that is certainly important. It doesn't mention, you know, um, avoiding these obvious big sins that we know are wrong. He says it's also about doing what the word says. It's about caring for the poor, for those who are vulnerable and hurting. He says it's about representing God in a needy world. Throughout this letter here, we see James talking a lot about not just being a hearer of the word, but a doer. In James 1.22, he says, do not merely listen to the word 
and so deceive or fool yourselves. Do what it says. Later in James 2, 14 to 26, James says that faith without works, without action, is dead. And he explains that we can prove that our faith is alive by doing the good works that God the Father has given us to do. Personally, this really reminds me of a passage of scripture that I memorized as a kid in in our Awana program growing up. uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Actually, I really only memorized Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I don't know if this is common, but uh, back then those verses just came together in Verse 10 was kind of left off somehow, but I discovered later, boy, how, how beautifully they work together. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it's, it's by grace we're saved through faith, and it's not anything that we do of, our, of ourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So uh, Paul says to the Ephesians that, that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not because of our works. But verse 10 says, but God created us. Um, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're not saved by our good works. We're saved for our good works to do works that God long ago had us in mind and thought that we would accomplish for him. We're not just saved from something from punishment and the results of our sin, but saved for something to do the good works God called us to do. So here, our theme for the weekend, a uh, theme verse from James one twenty seven. we find that James is hearkening back to some of the Old Testament teachings that, are, uh, that his original readers would have been very familiar with and that many of us are as well. He's calling them to go back um, to capture this, this, this uh, refrain that they've heard about all the time and that they've been taught through the prophets and through the Psalms and through other Old Testament scriptures, that God's people are to care for the widows, for the orphans, for the needy and the oppressed. And why should God's people do that? Because those people are very near to the heart of God. Just a couple of examples from the Old Testament. Psalm 146, 9 says, The Lord watches over the alien, and he sustains or nourishes or cares for the fatherless, and the widow, but he frustrates or turns upside down the ways of the wicked. Psalm 68, 5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Have you ever met someone and wondered what they were really like at home when they've kicked their... um, shoes off and put their slippers on and they're sitting around watching TV or reading or whatever they do about their day. Have you ever wondered if someone at church is really like they are uh, the same way they're portrayed uh, at church or at work, at home? Maybe some of you are thinking that about me or certainly about Pastor Wes over here. We often discover a person's true character in nature when they're at home, don't we? How they treat their spouse how they treat their children, their neighbors, and their dog. Psalm 68, 5 says, let me read it again. A, fatherless to, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God at home in his holy dwelling. The verse says that if we really want to get to know who God is, if we really want to understand his character, 
take a good look at how he is at home in his holy dwelling. And the more we read God's word, the more we seek his face, the more we get to know him and discover his real nature or character, the more we find that he is loving and kind and that he's on the side of the poor and the needy and the oppressed. I think someone today needs to hear that just because of what you're going through right now. You need to know that God is on your side, no matter what pain or struggles you're experiencing right now. But is it any wonder that James would tell us that pure religion or true faith, faith that passes muster with God, would compel us to care, to be concerned about the very people that God would care for or be concerned about? that we should care for the orphans, the widows, the needy, and the oppressed, I don't think it should surprise us at all. Because at home, at his deepest nature, God cares about the needy and the poor. And God's home isn't just somewhere up in heaven, is it? No, where else does God live? Within us, in our hearts, if we've put our faith and trust in him. God at home, in heaven, and in our hearts cares for the poor and needy. So what happened then to cause some of these people who were once faithful hearers of the word to get off track and to stop putting their faith into practice? How did they lose sight of God's heart for the poor and the needy and neglect to do anything to help them? I think it must have something to do with the second half of our verse today, where James warns them against being polluted or corrupted by the world. What does James mean by that? Those aren't really words we use today. What does he mean and how does that happen? Well, it seems to me like Jesus gave an illustration about something like this in the parable of the the sower and the seed from Mark chapter 4. I think it's a familiar story to us. In Mark 4, 18, well, we read in the, in the parable there's different kinds of soil. And there's a farmer or a sower that goes out and he's casting the seed. And some falls on hard ground and the birds come and eat it. And, and some falls on rocky ground and, and it can't take root and grow. In James 4, verse 18 and 19, Jesus explains that still other seeds were sown among the thorns. And these are people who heard the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things came in and choked the word, making it unfruitful. Their busyness choked out the word that God put in their hearts, and they had no desire or thought of carrying out the mission that God had called them to do. They got lulled into thinking that, uh, or losing sight about what's really important. Maybe they got too busy making a living, or too busy living their lifestyle that they wanted to live, to see the needs of others and be motivated to do something to help meet those needs. Maybe they started thinking that, if, that it was just enough to go to church and to believe the right things and to avoid the obvious sins, that they're doing all that God expects them to do. But we read here in James one twenty seven a warning against letting the world pollute or corrupt us. And I think the real danger for, for some of us isn't that we're going to be tempted to do some blatant uh, evil sin, although that certainly does happen. 
But I think the greater danger or what leads up to those big sins is little, little things. We just get busy living our lives that we don't have time to see or the eyes to see the needs of others and the heart to do something about it. I'm becoming more and more convinced in my own personal life that the world's ways that try to corrupt or pollute me are much more covert than overt. It's not some big decision that's going to happen out of the blue that goes against God, but it's, it's little compromises that I'm tempted with every day. It's little steps of obedience that I feel God calling me to, but I, I put it off. I say, I'll, maybe I'll do it later. Or, Lord, surely someone else can do that, right? It's the busyness that keeps me from seeing the needs that are around me. The selfishness that causes me to think that what I have is mine and doesn't really belong to anyone else. It's seeing needs but thinking that that someone else will do something about it. Or maybe that I don't have the ability. God, you really can't use me. Or, God, I surely don't have the money to help meet that need. It's the thinking that my mission, my purpose here on life is just to accumulate stuff, to have a nice job, a nice family, a nice home to live in, to have as much fun as possible before I die. It's forgetting my true calling to represent God in a needy world. So I think James is telling us here that if God's love is truly alive in us, it'll move us, it'll compel us. To love God back by loving our neighbor as ourselves, by being concerned about the needs of others around us, especially those who are most vulnerable. If God's love is truly within us, we'll represent God. We'll really be his ambassadors in a needy world. Has anyone ever met an ambassador or visited an embassy somewhere? Way, wow, you can't be any farther than in the back. You are way back in the back. Where did you, uh, was that an embassy here or was it overseas? And where were you? Ecuador. Did you get to meet the ambassador or were you just in the embassy? Okay, awesome. So thank you for sharing that. So what, what is an ambassador? He's, he or she is an official representative from one nation to another. So the U.S. ambassador to Ecuador is the person who acts on behalf of the leader back home, the president. And, and the words that the ambassador speaks are not his or her own words, right? But they're the words that come from the leader. The actions the ambassador takes aren't his or her own actions, right? But the actions just like the leader back home would take. The ambassador's job isn't to go and pursue their own agenda, is it? No, it's to pursue the agenda that their leader sent them for, to do the work that they called them to do. I think it's helpful for us to realize that we are ambassadors. We are God's representatives here in this world to help meet a needy, the needs of our world. It's helpful for us to, to think, how would God respond in these situations? What would he call me to do if he were here? I think God knew that we'd struggle with this issue of being his representatives in a needy world and, and caring for the needs of others and not allowing the busyness of, of our lives to blind us from seeing the needs and believing that he wants us to do something about it somehow. And gratefully, he's shown us in scriptures some examples of how Jesus instructed his disciples to be his representative in a needy world. 
I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew 9, 35. Now, I'm not sure what version of the Bible you came with today. I'm going to be reading from the message paraphrase. From Matthew 9, chapter th- or Matthew 9 verse 35. And we see here that Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages, and he taught people in their meeting places, and he reported kingdom news. He healed their diseased bodies. He um, healed their bruised and hurt lives. But when he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and so aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. I think when any of us are confronted by need, there's one thing we can do for sure, and that's to pray and ask God to do something about the situation. So here Jesus sees the need, is with his disciples, and he calls them to get on their knees and to pray for God to send more laborers into the harvest to help meet the needs of a hurting world. Go on to Matthew 10, verse 1. The prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. Jesus called his disciples and he sent them out into the ripe fields. Don't be surprised when you see a need and you pray for it that God doesn't tap you on the shoulder and say, guess what? You're the answer to your prayers. I put that need on your heart for a reason so that you can take action and do something about it. It says here, he gave them power, power to kick out the evil spirits and to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. And then he, he lists the 12 disciples. In verse 5, Jesus gives them some words of instruction that I think are very instructive for us this morning. He says, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't think you have to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Just go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood And tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You've been treated generously, so live generously. Jesus is saying here, we don't need to feel overwhelmed or feel like we have to tackle all the world's problems. Just do something about the needs you see right before you. The things God's already put on your heart. And if you don't know any needs, just look for opportunities or needs in your own sphere of influence. Ask your friends or family or look for some needs in your church or school or workplace. And then take a step. Do something. Verse 9 says, don't feel you have to put on a big fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. Travel light. Don't think you have to have it all figured out or know all that it would take to help meet the need that comes your way. Know that God's already given you the resources you need to be his representative in a needy world. It's in our personality, our life experiences, our spiritual gifts and abilities and skills. It's what we know, but also who we know. Who else we can call upon or talk to to help join with us to help meet the needs? These uh, last words of Jesus, travel light, are ones that really impact me. 
It's another warning not to get weighed down by our lives or our lifestyle, to not get weighed down by the accumulation of stuff so that we don't see the need and and can't respond or have the heart that would want to respond. One of the things that burdens me so much is to see people who feel a call to ministry. They know for sure there is something God has called them to do, but they're weighed down by debt. Or they're weighed down by their schedule. They have no margin in their lives to respond and to help meet the need like they would like to, that they know God would have them do. Travel light. Jesus gets a little bit more practical in the how-tos. Sometime later in the scriptures, when we read the account of him feeding the 5,000, you will find that account in Mark 6, verse 30, if you want to turn there. Mark 6, 30 to 44. Jesus was trying to get away and have some rest, but people kept coming to him, and he felt compassion for them. So even though he was tired and exhausted, he still met with them and met their needs. And, And then he began to teach them says here, Jesus was teaching for some time and it was getting late. And the disciples said, Jesus, do something about this situation. The people have been here all day. They're tired. They're hungry. Jesus, uh, send them away so they can get something to eat. And what's Jesus say to them? He says, you do something. You give them something to eat. They said, what, are you kidding us? It would, we don't have the resources. It would take a, almost a year's income for us to be able to feed all these people. How in the world do you expect us to do something like this? Do you, are you really serious about wanting us to do something? Jesus asked them, what do you have to work with? Go and see. So they go and they search and try to figure out what they might have to do uh, as a resource to help meet this need. And they come back and say, all we have is five loaves and two fishes. Someone's lunch, basically. Or lunch money. Jesus says, that's enough. And he took what they found, what they added up. And he blessed it. And he multiplied it. The need was met. The people were fed and they were blessed. And there was plenty left over. God's math is not our math. When we encounter a need and and try to add it up and and to see if it makes sense for us to do something, it won't. It won't make sense. It won't add up because God's math is not our math. But when we offer what we have to God, he takes it and he blesses it and he multiplies it. And he makes miracles happen. God works through the resources that we have, our faith, our skills, our abilities, our connections, our, our money. And he makes miracles happen. So let me ask you today, if, if we held up our lives to the light of this scripture, James 1.27, is your faith something that looks after those who are needy and vulnerable? Do you have a growing sense or awareness of the needs of others and a, a heart and a desire to respond, to do something to meet the needs? Or have you let the world subtly, slowly pollute us or corrupt us into thinking that Surely God wouldn't want us to do it, or how could I possibly with the resources I have or the time limitations that I have? But friends, I'd like to remind you today that that God is still calling us. God is still calling you to be his representative in a needy world. Is there a need that's been on your heart for some time or an issue that you've recently learned about and maybe you haven't done anything about yet? 
Maybe it's a missions project you've heard about or a community need. Or maybe it's a big issue like human trafficking. Or maybe it's literally looking after orphans and and being a foster parent or adopting or visiting uh, widows in nursing homes. Maybe it's Native American outreach or a need expressed somewhere from your school or work or church. Recognize this, that God has already called you to be his representative in a needy world. Realize that God's already given you the resources that you need to respond as he would. You already have what it takes. Pray and ask God for wisdom. Then take that first step. Don't wait. Don't think someone else will do it. Do whatever it is God's sensing you to do and watch and see how he blesses and provides. And get in the habit of responding immediately as the Lord prompts you. One of the things that God's burdened our family with lately is the issue of, of adoption, of, of caring for orphans. And it's something that's been on our heart for some time and we've been praying about. Um, I don't really know how it came about, but we've just always had that interest in providing a home for children that don't have a home. And over the last few months, our, our girls, who are five and nine, have been praying more intently. When they pray at mealtimes and at bedtimes, they pray, uh, Lord, please help hurting, um, how do they do it? Hurting and, and homeless people, and pray for orphans to find homes. And a few months ago, our oldest, who's nine, uh, began her own little savings fund to save up for adoption. Now, I'm not sure if she's saving up so that we can adopt or that she might be able to adopt sometime in the future. But it just touched our heart that even a child can motivate, their, their faith can motivate their parents to have a heart. So I ask you parents, uh, what are your children passionate about? And uh, how might you work together as a family to bring hope to a needing world? We don't know what that's going to mean for our family, but it's something we're praying about and something that our daughter is taking action on. And it's motivating us to take action on as well. Well, sometimes it's hard to immediately respond to the needs around us. A friend of mine wrote a book recently. His name is Claire DeGraff, and his book is called The Ten-Second Rule. He discovered that when he's confronted with a need or a situation or someone that needs help, if he doesn't respond within the next ten seconds, he's going to justify it away. Or he's going to forget about the need or put it aside or think, Lord, surely someone else is going to do something to meet this need. So he determined for himself... He's made himself a rule. He is predetermined and predecided that when confronted with a need or a prompting of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to respond within 10 seconds, hence the name, the 10-second rule. And he says, what I'm going to do is just do the next thing I reasonably believe Jesus wants me to do. So I'll leave you with that today. Whenever you're confronted with a need or a situation in your life, believe that God wants to use you to do something about it and just do the next thing that Jesus would want you to do, that you believe he would want you to do. Let me pray about that with you today. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this opportunity to be here and to look into your word and to hear you calling us, Lord, to follow after your heart, to care for widows and orphans and the needy and the oppressed, Lord, to be your representatives in this needy world. Lord, help us to remember that when we see a need or a prompting of you, You want us. We can just believe that you want us to do something, Lord. You want us to pray. You want us to take action. And, Lord, you've already given us the resources to do something. So help us to go in the faith and boldness, Lord, that we can be your representatives in a needy world and bring help and hope to those who are hurting and needy. Lord, help us to not think we're too young, we're too old, or that we've been faithful in the past, Lord, 30 years ago. 
Help us to realize that it's fresh. Your calling is fresh today as it was back then, Lord, to respond today to meet needs. So help us to do that, Lord, in, in faith and in your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to leave you with one last thought. It's a quote that's very, been very meaningful to me from Richard C. Halverson. He was a pastor for a number of years and the chaplain of the United States Senate back in the 80s and 90s, I believe. Listen to his words. He says, you go no place by accident this week. Wherever you go, Christ is sending you. You are nowhere by accident this week. Wherever you are, Christ has placed you. Because wherever you go and wherever you are, Christ has a job he wants to do there. And he can only do it in your body. Go in boldness and remember these words. And I've, I've printed a copy of it out today. If you want to stop by and pick it up at the table as a reminder of what God wants to do in and through you, I invite you to stop by and do that. Thank you and God bless you.
the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.